Hello. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to introduce a brand new show today. Not just a new episode, but a new series. It's called Creators and Innovators, and it'll be focused on precisely that, people who are pioneering in their space. Many of the interviews that I've done on Surf Splendor are interviewing people about their history and their contributions to surfing. Creators and Innovators will be more focused on the now, some origin story stuff and some character study but much more motivational and more of a blueprint for how to do it, how to make influential change. Surfing will be relevant to each story, but not the focus. This show came as the result of months of conversations with the crew over at Visla. A number of the employees had been listening to this show over the years. They understand the medium. So we eventually had a meeting, and to their immense credit, they basically just asked what I wanted to do, how I wanted to expand my interest in podcasting and in storytelling, and ultimately, this is what we've come up with. They are backing it, and we have a lot of interesting concepts and stories to tell, so I hope that you enjoy it. Surf Splendor will still be published weekly. I'm going to maintain that schedule. The Grit and Spit and Donnie Brink's new show, Swell With My Soul, all published bi-weekly, and then this show will be once monthly through the end of the year. And as with all new show launches, it's available on its own podcast feed, so you have to subscribe to that separately. I'll publish the first couple of episodes here just so that everybody makes that transition, but you can find that feed right now and subscribe, and I suggest you do that just so that you don't forget. So thank you. Feel free to send feedback and suggestions through surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, light up Visla too through their channels on social media or their website and just tell them what you think of this show. We will cater it specifically for you. All right, without further ado, episode one of Creators and Innovators. And the more I thought about it, chemistry is kind of this universal language, this truly universal language where bacteria communicates with each other through chemicals, you know, molecules. And they can communicate to you too. If you eat a bad burrito, then they're going to communicate to you that they don't want to be inside your gut. And they're going to release signals that signal your brain or they tell your brain, this shouldn't be in my stomach. And then you vomit. So really the, the bacteria can communicate to you on that molecular level through chemistry and that just fascinated me and I realized I, I gotta I gotta learn this welcome to episode one of creators and innovators presented by Visla I'm David scales each month we'll be seeking to distill the character traits the motivations and the daily rituals of creatives in hopes that we can develop a blueprint for how to disrupt norms and innovate in one's own space. To ensure that you get all future episodes of Creators and Innovators, open up your podcast app, search Creators and Innovators, and then click subscribe. Every episode will be downloaded to your device for free. You can learn more at visla.com. We're launching this series with Cliff Capono. This is always, I feel, a little weird about what do you call yourself? Because me, I, I just call myself brought a cliff like that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's what people know me as but i guess um i think it's important titles I, i've realized that sometimes titles are important so i have three employers okay. that have titles for me one is a surfer and one is a scientist and one is a journalist so okay. um i just came from 
the newsroom down at the Union Tribune where I'm writing for the science column and um, I'm still writing papers for my um, degree in chemistry which I finished but I still have a few more projects that I'm completing uh, under University of California San Diego and then fortunate to be a part of the Vista team. As a PhD chemist, Cliff is researching the biological and chemical composition of surfers around the world, exploring what bacteria is living on our skin and in our guts. What he's discovered thus far in his research is that surfers, thousands of miles apart, share a lot of commonality, sometimes more so than with our non-surfing next-door neighbors. This is radical information because all bacteria interacts with one another and triggers change. Our unique biology informs our thinking, our behaviors, incidents of disease. Cliff grew up in Hilo, on the Big Island of Hawaii, where he was immersed in some of the most beautiful expressions of science in our world. Yeah, I would say primary education was outside of an institution, for sure. It was learning from um, my dad and my family. Um, going to the beach was probably a, a pretty big um, space. I would say formally, it was um, where I learned the most about my environment, about my culture, my heritage. So definitely outside of a classroom is where I felt I, I learned the most because I felt that that information was very important to me. It was stressed in my community that I needed to know the, the, these things. If I knew nothing else, I needed to know where I came from and where do I fit in this environment. I remember... Um, being down at the beach as a, a small boy with my sisters and my dad and he would tell us the Hawaiian name and also he would tell us the scientific name and when I think about it now he actually didn't know the full scientific name sure. he was kind of just talking about you know like a part of the scientific name but he was exposing us to Hawaiian and Latin and there was really very little English between those expressions so to me it just showed that this science became another type of language which was pretty interesting to me you know I, I didn't I didn't learn words out of a book it was the science was tangible I could touch what photosynthesis was you know I could um, understand um, respiration you know it, it was we had these these physical things manifestations of these scientific expressions that I could touch and feel and I could talk about it in Hawaiian and also in what people say science. And that just felt really empowering to me as a, as a, a boy because in school I, I struggled, honestly, with um, mathematics and science and English. Those were all things that I, I had a hard time understanding because they came out of books. Right. And it was very difficult for me to, to you know, read books and... And it wasn't that I just, I didn't like books. I mean, I love books. I loved reading. It's just when it came down to, I went to school on this small, small school on a hill that looked over Hilo Bay. And I just would stare out the window and I remember seeing like whales jumping outside and like, and I knew when the waves were breaking and I was just like, so like focused on the outside that when I had to put, you know, the time into a book or in, in a room, it was just so hard for me. 
I mean, K through 12 is now only taught in one specific way. And I think we're all pretty well aware at this point that not everybody learns the same. Sure. And it's like, if you don't learn that way, then you're really cast aside and it dictates potential career opportunities for the rest of your life because you can't get into college and stuff like that and you know a lot of the time as you know belonging to you know a supposed marginalized community a lot of times i think educators they try to um, blame a race or a community for how we learn and i think it's just to me it's like i I didn't go to preschool or anything. I started school in the kindergarten. So up until five or six, I was outside. I wasn't in four walls. So everything I learned about who I was as a human being or where I belong was outside. And now all of a sudden, I have to learn about who I am and where I belong inside of four walls through books. That's that's no matter if you're a Hawaiian or a Japanese or whatever you are, that's going to be a pretty difficult thing to do. Yeah. So... I think a lot of times we forget, especially living and coming from marginalized communities, that it's not always just about the community, but how we're raised as children, where you can take someone from France, bring them into our community, and they're going to struggle when they get to, you know, kindergarten too, because that's how we learn. You know, we learn by being in the ocean, we learn by being in the forest, and that's super common in Hawaii. I know these may there may be a subtle difference, but to me it's, it's it's a big difference is the difference between biology and chemistry, where being introduced to that word biology was the study of life, and it was you know you can look at trees and plants and you know snails and whales and sharks and all this. I was like biology, biology is insane, and I kind of felt I identified more with biological questions you know how does the the bigger pictures feed together and I didn't really appreciate chemistry that much because it was really um, almost empirical where you're looking at atoms balancing equations mixing solvents and I just didn't really jive with that Um, and that's why I stayed in in really biological sciences up until a master's in bioengineering and I realized I was kind of relying on the chemist a lot. At a point, I was looking at how um, toxins, whether they're from spiders or scorpions or cone snails, how do they affect neurons in the body? And I would, I would get the venom and I, you know, put it into different models and see how it affects these different either receptors or fish or whatever it was. But at the end of the day, I realized that the way these things were interacting were on a chemical level and the more I thought about it you know chemistry is kind of this universal language this truly universal language where you know bacteria communicates with each other through chemicals you know molecules and they can communicate to you too if you eat a bad burrito then they're gonna communicate to you that they don't want to be inside your gut and they're gonna release signals that signal your brain or they tell your brain this shouldn't be in my stomach and then you vomit. So really the the bacteria can communicate to you on that that really, you know, molecular level through chemistry. And that just fascinated me and I realized I gotta I gotta learn this. That flashpoint gave Cliff the inspiration and direction towards the field he wanted to study. 
He knew that his first step was simply to learn the language of chemistry. So he did. He got his PhD in chemistry at UC San Diego, learned how to use a mass spectrometer to isolate and identify chemicals, and as he began to research, he realized that understanding the language of chemistry unlocked a world of knowledge for him. Again, drawing lessons from his youth in Hawaii, he realized that maybe his most valuable role might be as a translator. I feel very fortunate to be from Hawaii and some of the, the stories that we have and the resources we've communicated through generations. Um, I think science today and in other society or in other communities can really benefit from those stories. But I think they have to be um, relatable. And it's very difficult to communicate stories about gods and goddesses or goddesses and really these types of mythological uh, stories. But if we talk about the chemistry that happened then and we show that it's still happening, then we can you know, share that with other communities who appreciate that type of you know, expression of science. You know, right. I, I think even though now people argue that the scientific literacy is low across the United States, uh, I would argue that people appreciate scientific information uh, it's just not accessible, I think. Sure. And, and that's why I, I really enjoy journalism because I can tackle that problem on the ground. But if there's a way now to understand the chemistry that's occurring in Hawaii, then I can communicate it to the world and then hopefully the same solutions we're finding at home, they can be solutions elsewhere. And the solutions people are finding elsewhere, we can apply them back home. And we don't have to worry about language barriers of Hawaiian or English or whatever we can just get down to a pretty you know common language of chemicals the research that I was doing at the university was partially funded by the public so I feel the public has a right to know where their money was going and right. I think that's something that a lot of scientists forget is that without the public especially in a public university like the University of California we wouldn't be able to do the research that we enjoy. You know, the mm. research that I did to get my degree, I really enjoyed it. I had an amazing time in you know, the University of California, San Diego's chemistry department and working at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. I, it was amazing and I feel I owe it to the public to communicate what I've done. Through his scientific discoveries and trying to communicate them with friends, Cliff realized a chasm between what scientists are understanding and the general public's ability to A, understand the information, and then B, apply its meaning to their daily life. So Cliff intuited that it wasn't an intellectual shortcoming of the public, but rather just an inadequate communication from the scientific community. Cliff seized an opportunity at the Union Tribune newspaper in San Diego to help investigate and communicate science as a journalist. Uh, I went up to Washington, D.C., and then we ended up meeting with a lot of editors and journalists from D.C. that work at Washington Post or NPR, uh, National Public Radio, and they try to help us see that, though we write all the time as scientists, how do we write for the general public? So we have to really translate the way we communicate, um, which for me, I thought, oh, I don't really speak super scientifically in my right. among my peers. So I was like, oh, this should be a breeze. And then when I got into the newsroom, I realized that I'm kind of in this weird middle area because um, I speak less scientific than the scientists, but I speak more scientific than maybe people in the, the general public. 
Okay. So now I'm in this middle area trying to figure out what's the best way to translate complex scientific ideas using language that doesn't, you know, try to um, seem like kind of like superior to, to someone else. I, I think it's, it's not like, I don't know if it's so much scientists are trying to sound smart. It's just the scientist learns using specific words. Right. And it's not the scientist's job to translate those words. The scientist's job is to understand what that word means and use it to communicate to other scientists. That's what you get, you know, awarded to do and celebrated to do. So really within the scientific world, you don't have to translate to anyone. Right. You speak to other people in your peer group. I guess pretty similar to, you know, surfers. Like totally. they, they're like, you know, I, I remember I was um, a part of a, a podcast with uh, Paula Poundstone from wait wait don't tell me on NPR and she was reading something from surfing magazine that talked about me and she just like what does that mean <laughs> and she they're kind of like joking on me like we don't even know what that means and I think it was filled with like spits and tubes and yeah. things like that and she made a joke about it and it was, it was pretty funny but I would think a lot of that um communication barrier would be broken down by people just knowing that you're a surfer i think that automatically breaks the ice and kind of when you hear phd or scientist you think of a very different looking archetype than what you look like and it's intimidating yeah but then you hear surfer and you're just like oh sure i can intellectually spar with a surfer sure fully (laughs) fully yeah i i think and that's the thing you know the the surfer is really you know one of the most accomplished ecologists totally. on the planet they are they're observing the changes in the environment on a daily basis and i always say I, I did this project that we looked at the bacteria and the chemicals of surfers across the world to see how they differ from non-surfers and people are like why surfers and i and i say you know there's over 20 million surfers in the world right now estimated and they transcend all genders races political beliefs and they're so diligent in their pursuit to immerse themselves in the natural environment that they'll risk jobs mm-hmm. or relationships or you know just kind of being where they are supposed to be to get some waves and i think that's a that's something that can be used to to gather more information you know, they're like great resources for data collection cliff did his research thesis on what he called the surfer biome project Simply, you'd imagine that people who spend a lot of time in the ocean might be exposed to different bacteria than people who don't. A simple understanding like that, understanding which bacteria are prevalent in a group, could lead to a whole host of breakthroughs. So Cliff got his research funded, and he traveled through California, Hawaii, Morocco, Ireland, England, all to collect bacteria samples from surfers in an attempt to identify commonalities among surfers and potential uniqueness from all the rest of the world. There's something, there's a a chemical reaction that happens within your body and within your brain when you ride these waves. And I'm not too sure how to really prove any of this, but we know that it's you know it's true you know we have chemical reactions that happen just by eating sugar or you know, drinking milk you know there's signals that are released and what the sci- some of the scientists who I work with at the University of California and elsewhere in the world they're saying that the bacteria have a, a role inside of this um, you look at you know if you have a certain type of gut bacteria 
you know, the community of bacteria that live in your gut, um, they're going to facilitate different neurotransmitters that get released into your brain and signal different things. So now there's all this research looking at how does your bacteria in your body affect your thinking or how does it affect your mood or diabetes or things like that. And the most recent project that I, I did at the University of California for my, my work is we found unique bacteria that are only found on surfers. And the more you surf, the more you have these types of bacteria. So this now shows that on a, on a, that biological level, surfers are unique from non-surfers. And a surfer in San Diego is more similar to a surfer in Morocco than they are to someone in the same city who doesn't go to the ocean. Um, this has huge implications on things like personalized medicine, on well-being, on public safety of disease transmission. You know, and I think these are the types of things that by understanding the chemistry, we can begin to explore whether we're scientists or surfers alike. We can all talk about the ocean and riding waves and it's going to really kind of transcend these barriers that we have with titles and all that yeah. stuff. Did you finish that study? Was that part of the PhD? Yeah, I finished okay. the study, so now I'm in the process of writing it up. Got it. So okay. it's important. Um, I would love to give specific specifics on the data and the results, but um, in, in primary literature, which a lot of scientists use as resources to you know, inspire other research projects, the project gets reviewed by other scientists, and then those scientists kind of validate its accuracy and if it's accurate then it goes into the public but it doesn't really go to the public because it's still scientifically yeah. um, dense so then it's up to journalists to communicate that you talk about um, surfers have unique bacteria is it a positive or a negative is the bacteria defined yet as good or bad um, no I, I don't think we know that much yet I think we're establishing the differences and then now we can explore if there are good differences or bad differences. I think what I'm discovering is that the type of bacteria that exist in and on you can start to give you clues about where you've been. I did uh, do a project uh, that released earlier this year as we looked at how bacteria and chemicals are kind of this next generation of fingerprints that um, we leave these fingerprints of bacteria and chemicals everywhere we go and we also um, collect um, based upon a room. So we looked at people in a room and we took kind of like bacteria and chemical fingerprints of everyone and then we just sampled everywhere across the room. We were able to identify with a pretty high confidence where people went in a room and what laptops and phones belong to who. So this is kind of like a modern day or next generation forensics application using the bacteria and the chemicals of people because they're pretty unique. You know, Interesting. Someone that you, you know, you think about the who are the people you go and either work with or you yeah. see, you have a totally different life and you do totally different things. And you can, it's the chemistry that you see. Yeah. Or, and the biology that you can characterize. Like I was just driving through, what is it, the grapevine? Mm -hmm. Through the Central Valley. And as soon as I came over the, I think it's the, um, is it the Los Angeles Mountains? And it's it's kind of kind of pretty and you're i'm driving through these mountains and as soon as i drop in instantly like windows up ac blasting i can smell something different you know, and then i look to you know out the window and i see an airplane just kind of releasing all this like smoke on the crops and then i just see crops for days crops for days and then i can still smell it and i'm trying to like close up my windows and i can still smell it and then i get into kind of the livestock part 
of the drive and then it just smells like livestock totally and you know now that i kind of like studied a lot of kind of chemistry and i use instruments that can detect on a very small concentration these types of things i look at my truck and it's probably just this cow turd <laughs> pesticide sponge that when i get to you know san francisco or ever and i'm eating at like you know some you know whole foods place i'm just thinking like oh and that's the shit truck out right. there that i just like brought up and contaminating everyone like oh no there's some pesticides in your food but if you shake my hand you're probably gonna get a bunch of exposure right now so it's really funny to think about but to your point about doing the surfer biome thing is that doesn't mean it's bad the bacteria actually isn't yeah in inherently bad no the the bacteria the bacteria is we we have to live with bacteria yeah you know it's a majority of the dna that exists in our organism are foreign bacteria which are i mean our foreign dna which are bacteria or fungus and viruses too um this is just part of life like we're there's germs everywhere and they're not always bad they help protect us from infection right. so understanding what that perfect community is that's pretty important for modern medicine and Really, a lot of resources are going into understanding this type of research. Anyone who is innovating in a space is going to hit roadblocks. Often, the more innovative an idea or product is, the harder it is to gain acceptance from the critical mass. Even the iPhone was slow to find success in the general public. People couldn't get used to the idea of a phone without a physical keypad. So I was curious about methodologies that Cliff has developed to help navigate challenges and also just to maintain motivation. You know, one thing is that I'm, I'm really passionate about, I wouldn't, I say there's a lot of stumbling blocks and barriers to it, is trying to understand what is a human's relationship with nature look like? How do we actually use empirical evidence to find out what is our role? How are we interacting with nature and how is nature interacting with us? And I, I believe that chemistry and biology is one of the best ways to answer that question. But there's so much variables. You know, if when you test when you test humans, you can't do certain things because of ethics. By not being able to do that, I'm always met with people saying like, Oh, when you did you sample the water, how do you know it's not the diet? Or what if these guys, you know, have been here on antibiotics and it's difficult to try to uh, have a finding and try to communicate it with people. A lot of people want to shut it down. And that's probably the hardest thing that I face is I'm not this like genius that's out there trying to sell people science. It's right. just I, I don't even know if I truly believe in science. It's just that's the best thing that I've learned that can help me understand the world around me outside of my Hawaiian culture. And I'm trying my best to, to answer questions that I've had since a young boy which my culture has answered. But how do I communicate that to people who aren't exposed to that culture? You know, and, and that's been a, something I've been trying to do. Have you experienced any limitations to the science? For sure, yeah. I mean, I can. this could be a five-hour podcast about all the limitations of the technology we use. Um, simple things, whereas the way we see a molecule is not by its identity. We see it by its weight. And if you don't have a sensitive instrument, then you might be weighing something in the same size, and then you can get confused on what it is. You know, it's you can have higher resolution, you can have a, a better confidence, but it's going to cost a lot more money. 
to get an instrument that is so sensitive that they can distinguish between caffeine that is from the coffee or caffeine that just spilt on the table and because of whatever whatever else was there it had some type of chemical modification a slight chemical modification essentially they're both caffeine coming from the same place but if you don't have a sensitive instrument that can identify that then they could you may think they're two different molecules right so there's definitely limitations in the technology um but i think it's kind of one of those things we we work with what we got you know it's kind of like when you're surfing you know like oh i, I wish i had a bigger board for today but i don't so yeah. it doesn't stop me from going out sure. still gonna try to get some waves successfully innovating in a space creates new responsibilities new avenues to explore new interests from the general public plenty of new things to spend your time on however you still have the same finite amount of time to allocate so I was curious about how Cliff solves that problem, how he honors his responsibilities while still honoring himself and staying physically and mentally healthy. Especially when I was, you know, a five years in a in a program at university, there's times when I couldn't make a swell. Yeah. And I and really I remember when I really felt it was when I seen a lot of kind of my friends pushing um, pushing big wave surfing at home. I was 2012 to 2014. It just, I felt personally for me, it went next level and it was in Hawaii where a lot of that got pushed. And these are a lot of the guys that I call my friends that are moving into a new space and, and just pushing, pushing that athleticism and that ocean knowledge to levels we've never seen before you know and it wasn't just like one or two like there's guys like shane dorian or like brock little you know that eddie these guys kind of just went next level as kind of these individuals really in that time frame i feel you know 2012 2014 there was like 10 or 12 guys that just went next level all together as a kind of as like a group and i was away and i remember walking down to blacks and not like i'm like that, that's my desire in life i just remember seeing kind of a historical change in the culture i belong to and i was walking down the hill to a wave and i just thought what am i what am i doing here you know like i i think that was a tough week too in the lab but my results didn't work and i remember i just like i had to go i had to go surf so i was like oh, i'm gonna go surf and my professor was giving me heat like oh you're just gonna go bail and go surfing and it was all this kind of like stress that i had and i was like why am i even here when all this is happening at home I, i'm like am i even gonna be able to be a part of something in science that is this monumental or this historic maybe not would i've been able to do that at home maybe not either who knows but when you're ever you're, you're kind of away you're you're worried about that and then you know fast forward a few years and then i was going and surfing these places and then i was wondering ah oh, but this is some really cool research that i know can really help society in, in a cool way in a fun way so I'll, i'd go and i'd just jump on a plane and like come right back and be like oh, okay i got i got a couple ways yeah. but and they're like oh stay for like it's gonna be all good for the winter especially on the north shore at home it's like oh, i want you to stay there's like five souls lined up out the back it's like no i'm just gonna come for the one and then i'm gonna come back and then i'll like fly back so i definitely do feel Maybe not as much guilty as, f like, the FOMO, the fear of missing yeah. out about that. 
I actually really enjoy everything that I do, and I do get enjoyment out of everything. You know, and I think it's the hardest part about that is trying to. It's almost like people get jealous of the time. You know, I'm in the newsroom, and they're like, "Why are you leaving?" It's like, "Well, I'm going to go on a trip to say Indonesia." Like, why are you going to Indonesia? Indonesia just to like do surfing? And it's, I'm still trying to figure out how to communicate to these different, you know, groups that it's all interconnected. That, you know, I'm going down to Indonesia with the Five Gyres and the World Surf League to talk about microplastics in the Indian Ocean, and we can communicate that issue because it affects San Diego. So why don't we do a news story about this or? You know, when we're there looking at the ocean plastics, we still need to surf. Because if we remove ourselves from the places we're trying to protect, how can we ever reach our goal? You know, so it's really. I feel like they're not separate, and I'm always kind of working. And there's definitely times that I kind of allocate to family and to the community. And I think those are where I draw the line. Personally, for me, I don't feel like I just need cliff time.、Um, I think there's times that I need to be in my community and the people that I, I care about. Either it's a, you know, say like there's an issue within the Hawaiian community, like telescopes being built on a sacred mountain, or people being displaced because of the volcano. You know, these are things that I can really remove myself from having to blog about it or document it and just be me and just go down outside of any media coverage and stuff. And that's probably the The hardest part to do is to really just pull out and not give someone a, a legit reason why. Because when people ask me why are you going home to talk about this, I have to tell them it's personal. You know, because I don't want I don't want any I don't want to sell it in any way. Because everything else, I, I in a weird way, I try to share it in a way that's marketable. Because I feel people can benefit from these these stories of surf and science and journalism. But there's certain things in the culture that I feel are sensitive, and I'm still learning how to how to express it. So that's the only part I struggle with, really. You also have to wonder, though, like, will you be that game changer surfer? Will you be that game changer chemist? I don't know. There's no way to know. But you won't be as well rounded of a person if you just committed to one of those things. And the argument could also be made: you wouldn't even enjoy the surfing as much if you didn't have、yeah. this professional pursuit. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, I, and I think that's what's really cool too, because I I see a lot of. I do see that it's there in the industry of in the surf industry competition, even among your peer group. You worry about you know what do you have, and it's such a volatile industry. It's you know does if this person outperforms me, even though they're my friend, does that mean my paycheck will be gone when the contracts get renewed? You never really know, and you know by really having this. Science pursuit. I feel it allowed me to be really like non-threatening at all. It's、right. just like I'm I'm coming in as random, brought a cliff, coming just to surf, just because I want to surf, just like everyone else really、mm-hmm. that is there.、Um, maybe there's other people that have ulterior motives, but I I don't see that. I don't I don't even participate or subscribe to any of those conversations. Is everyone? I enjoy surfing waves, and I enjoy watching the best guys get the best waves. It doesn't have to be me, and I'm really fortunate to be supported by brands that that appreciate that. You know, I don't have to go on and outperform my peer to be seen as having a a legit position 
out there and that's just really empowering you know and Good, i think yeah. that's really that's who i that's who i follow and that's who yeah totally. who i you know really appreciate is the people who not only go out and execute and display their high you know, level of ocean proficiency but also have some type of thought behind what they what they care about you know who, who's the person besides just getting that barrel or getting that air you know who's who's the person and i think that's what i'm even learning kind of in the newspaper is when we talk about scientists or the people who get the awards you know and they always tell me humanize it don't talk about the award don't talk about what you got but talk about the person because we're actually not too different from these nobel prize laureates or these people that are going into space we all grew up we were all born we all had issues we all got insecurities and fears but we got to overcome them that's what i did cliff and i recorded this conversation in laguna beach at the offices of agave surf he had picked up a couple of surfboard blanks that were built from agave plant that would later be shaped for him by travis reynolds and danny hess Over the years, I've seen Cliff ride a really diverse quiver, so I was curious about what he's been riding recently. Well, what I've I've been riding kind of the most over the past, I would say, year and a half, two years, is my Alaya uh, surfboard. And, you know, some people say it's called Alaya or Alaya, but a wooden surfboard, traditional wine surfboard, shaped by my friend Brandon Ahuna back in Hilo. And it's it's made out of Polonia wood and also of koa wood and that board to me I just I what it represents and you know I'm not doing airs or anything I'm really just sliding down the wave it's like uh, that feeling same feeling for me when you get that really good bottom turn a really good top turn or even kind of when you're engaged in the barrel that's that's the engagement that you have but it's continuous it's like a f- a constant bottom turn or a constant top turn or really engaged locked into a wave the same as how you have to be when you're in the barrel and when you do those things in addition to riding the alaya it it just becomes next level you know and and that's just what keeps me wanting to experience that but it kind of represents kind of how i feel about a lot of things is that polonium is not from hawaii you know that's a you know foreign wood coming from australia um, but it's blended with koa, which is a native Hawaiian wood. And together, this board allows me to do what I want to do. And it just kind of represents a lot with me, kind of the same types of ideas, taking foreign ideas, merging with Hawaiian ideas. It's it's like a really cool way to just go out and surf. And it, when the waves are terrible, like I just look at the board and I'm like, oh, okay, like it's more symbolic and it's like a way to really decompress in terms of performance boards I'm, I'm just trying to find materials that are moving away from more traditional um, manufacturing whether that's bio-based resins or um, recycled foams or agave um, wood as surfboard foam Much of my preparation for this conversation with Cliff came from one specific quote that I had read from him. It came from an interview by Surfer Magazine a couple of years back, and it's always stayed with me. He said, quote, 
Humans are so often concerned with the impact they're having on the environment, whether it's with CO2 emissions or polluting waterways, but in reality, we should be thinking about it from the opposite angle. When people realize that their own recreational environment, the ocean, has a major effect on their health, they will become more motivated to keep the ocean clean for the sake of their own well-being. We are not different than nature. That, that word nature, to me, I, I wrestle with it because I don't really believe that there should be something that we describe as the world around us that is separate from us. It's right. us. You know, we are the ocean. We are the air. That's like telling someone like, oh yeah, like, do you want to protect the air? And like, yes, because I breathe the air. Like, without air, I'm going to die, you know? So yeah. these are the types of kind of thinkings that I really want to, I, I want to promote, you know, in a way, because sure. I feel, and I'm not perfect. Like, I definitely have, you know, terrible emission rates at times and you know i'm not the mr no plastic you know we, we need things in our yeah. life to to live the way we do but it's just understanding the issues to help us make the most informed decision i think right now a lot of us make decisions and we just don't know the consequence sure. we just think that's that's okay and once we become kind of aware that maybe this is not the best thing for us or for my family or for my health then it's really easy to to change you know there's easy things to change that we can do and all this work is to really find out what's our relationship with nature. If the work that I'm doing can help spread those messages or find those answers, uh, I feel it's a fulfilling life. Goodbye, Jeffrey Jake, a name they never will forget. This poison rushes through my veins, steals my final breath. You can find Dr. Cliff Capono, although he prefers to just go by Brutta Cliff, at cliffcapono.com and on Instagram at cliff underscore capono. You should also check out the clothing collaboration Cliff did with Visla and Surfrider. It's a limited edition offering and the proceeds go to the Surfrider Foundation. Find that on visla.com along with everything else that Cliff and I discussed on this episode one of the creators and innovators podcast this show is written edited and produced by myself david scales if you enjoyed it check out my other work at surf we're going to close this episode with what is planned to be a recurring segment on this show it's called half empty half full cliff weighs in on some hot topics scary situations that plague future generations and he'll share whether he's optimistic or pessimistic about the outlook i would love to hear your feedback on this segment and i'd love to hear and actually get your suggestions for topics to be included in future segments of half empty half full send all of that feedback to hello at surf thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please just share it with one friend and we will continue to keep this content coming. Thanks. I'll leave you with Half Empty, Half Full with Cliff Capono. I'm going to give you four topics. You tell me whether you feel optimistic about them or pessimistic about them and why. Okay. All right. Ocean health. Optimistic. Why? I, Everything we hear from any news source ever is all pessimism, doom sure. and gloom. Sure, I think it's optimistic for the ocean because the ocean's still going to be around. <laughs> I think the real question is human health. Got uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, 
the ocean's going to be there. Will the humans? I don't know. That's up for debate. <laughs> Do you feel as though we can reverse the damage that human population and waste has done to the ocean? I don't know its time scales. I don't know if our lifetime we can reverse the impact that we had on the ocean. Um, but I think in the long term, it's possible to to readjust and come back to an equilibrium. I think that's possible. Yeah. And and a lot of people argue things like population and the sheer production of waste. That's true. That's increasing exponentially. Um, but I've only known from, at least in my culture, is that we've hosted the same population that exists in Hawaii today in a fully sustainable way prior to Western contact. So why can't we do that now? We have even more resources and even more amazing minds there, a diverse population. I'm sure someone can figure it out. It just comes down to if, if we choose to, and we need to choose as a community. Okay, optimistic or pessimistic? Wave pools. Oh, wave pools. I'm actually optimistic about the wave pools. Explain yourself. Um, I think for two, two reasons. I think the first reason is that I think wave pools will will help surfing maybe become a little bit more tangible to people who don't live on the coasts, which ultimately will help people understand more about the ocean. So I think that's a positive because then we can inspire ocean health and conservation. Also too, I think that it could become more accessible where surfing can cater to people who want to skateboard as well. And the industry I think will benefit from it. Ultimately, you know, the people that are part of the industry will maybe be supported a little bit more. So I think it's a it's a positive things. The negative things there's there's negative things of course, but for me the positives outweigh. Yeah. Maybe I know a lot of people are going to Texas on surf trips, which are leaving maybe some other breaks. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot <true>. more empty. <laughs> Have you surfed any pools? I haven't surfed any pools before. Okay. No. Um, would you if you got the invite? I would love to ride my alaya in a wave pool. Oh yeah. Have you seen an alaya ridden in any pool? I've seen Mick ride a skim, I think Tom Curran yeah. rode, and then I think uh, there's a local skimboarder from, I think, Laguna or Newport that just skimmed into one at oh, that's right. the Slater Pool. Austin Keen. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So, but no lies. Yeah, no lies, but. Radical. Maybe one day. Okay. Optimistic or pessimistic? Genetically modified foods. Yeah. So. I would have to say optimistic in that I think more people are educated about what a GMO is and what the consequences of genetically modified organisms role are in agriculture. So I think though it uh, could be a negative for many people, it's inspiring a lot of education, which that's what I'm optimistic about. So now that people are educated, we can say, maybe this is not for us or this isn't for us you know i think by having people informed we can make better decisions and it seems to be that's the direction it's going i think the term gmo just was so vilified in the last five and ten years and now people are actually digging in and figuring out well certainly we need to genetically modify certain things for what a lot of reasons but there is of course 
a danger in doing sure. it. So let's understand what's what before we just vilify Fully. all of it, you know. And let's let's hold the people accountable who are yeah. a part of that conversation. Yeah. It's back to your original um, just being a translator thing, you know, just effective communicating is it's sure. really important. All right, final topic, pessimistic or optimistic um, politics in America. I would say I'm, to be honest, I think I'm optimistic about politics. Are you? In that I think, similar along the lines of the GMO uh, question, I think I'm more informed about politics now. Just by the recent happenings in administration and in maybe in people in my age group. And it could be maybe I'm because I'm getting older, I'm more aware of these types of things. But I really used to cop out before and be like, ah, I don't care about politics. I'm not a politician and I'm mm -hmm. not, I don't, I don't like the politics. And I, I feel that sometimes that is a cop out that the politics affect me. And a researcher at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography was giving a talk one time and I asked her, we're taught as scientists not to be advocates. We're not supposed to have feelings about the data we uncover. How do you, this professor, how does this, how does a, you as a professor kind of overcome these issues when obviously you're passionate about your work and she goes on to say I love to study the ocean floor I've always loved to do it for the last 40 years but my work has become so politicized that I have no choice but to participate in the conversation and to shy away from it only endangers my work so I think I feel the same way is that politics the recent politics in the United States and across the globe has really educated me and opened my mind to take a stand. Now I, I have to have you know, a belief about the way things are happening. I, I really should participate in a conversation because without it, I'm kind of leaving my future up to others. You know, then we can start to look at creative ways to influence politics and policy. Maybe social influence. Social influences or totally. maybe even proposing a bill. You know, we talk about things like sunscreen in Hawaii. That's a political move, a legislative move to ban sunscreens in Hawaii or certain sunscreens right. that have these certain chemicals that have been shown to cause coral bleaching, which science has a role in, in that. You know, so these are types of these new creative ways to even weirdly, and this is weird saying this, but, you know, in, from a marketing standpoint is can you share an idea by proposing a bill, whether it gets passed or not? Is that the next evolution of marketing to say we're going to pass this bill and now everyone's going to be talking about it on the news you know but that's really just could be used for for evil too you know yeah. someone has an idea they want to market and promote right. let's write a bill and let's get all this talk about it right. you know and it might not be genuine but at the end of the day i think this is why i feel like i feel optimistic about politics because i know now with all the investment i did into my community and my education and everything i think I can use whatever small influence I have to to speak and I, I feel like I have a voice right. and I, I, I will do my best to make sure that people that feel they don't have a voice get given that chance yeah well you're officially an optimistic person because that's four <laughs> optimistic <laughs> four go. questions <laughs> all right Cliff well, Capono thank maybe. you thank you so much yeah. mahalo nui